back to another episode of the Hungry Takes podcast live on a Thursday night. Matt, we're in the midst of March Madness. We've had a lot going on with the NFL, but we've also had a free agency frenzy in Major League Baseball. The weather's warming up. Daylight savings time is switched over with the clocks. And so, Matt, this is a special edition of our show to talk about the state of Major League Baseball. Yeah, you know, Joe, to, to give people some uh, reference point, right, for our listeners out there, you know, we have football and you got March Madness literally going on right now. I mean, there's so many things we could talk about, but your hard work and dedication to Major League Baseball, you wrote about an eight-page article I think you have posted out there in the Twitter sphere, so to speak, and I think that kind of uh, dedication and effort uh, deserves some time here on, on ColorCast to give you your just desserts and for us to talk about that. So tonight, we're going to ignore basketball. We're going to ignore the hot football. All the hot takes in March Madness literally upsets happen right now. And instead, we're going to spend some time talking about your article that you wrote about baseball. It sounds great, Matt, and I really appreciate um, the words that you said. I worked worked hard on it, and just you know, hopefully, um, everybody you know enjoys it, and I uh, look forward to having this uh, discussion with you. So, before we jump in, Joe, and, and I'll kind of lead us on this. Um, I just saw that Lily says Devontae Adams is going to get traded to the Raiders, which we're not talking football tonight. But all I can say is Godspeed to Aaron Rodgers because you are about to look like the average quarterback that you are. Like, holy cow. That's just unfathomable. And, you know, if that division needed any more hype in the AFC West with the quarterbacks now and now Devontae Adams, I mean, my goodness. Yeah, and and I mean, like, the the last thing I'll say, oh, really, it's so painful, right? It's just that – if Aaron Rodgers deserved to be the highest quarterback like ever, right, in football at fifty million a year, and Devontae Adams makes up seventy-five percent of his passes and like ninety percent of his touchdowns, how dare you put a franchise tag on Devontae Adams? That is for the first time, I'm gonna say this because it's it's just desserts. Bad management on the Packers. That's the first time you can say that in the last almost five years. Poor management on the Green Bay Packers. You can't let him go. I mean, my goodness, I just I, I just can't believe it. I just unbelievable, Matt. All right, Joe, so let's talk some baseball. All right, let's get started. All right. Um, so so Joe, give us set the stage for this article that you wrote about uh, Major League Baseball. And to kind of introduce it, Joe wrote an article called Locked In to the MLB Lockout. And in this uh, article, Joe kind of summarizes what happened with the lockout and kind of, you know, I'll, I'll let Joe take it from here. But I'm just setting the stage for Joe, for you to talk about this article, this fantastic article that you wrote. Uh, thank you, Matt. Uh, absolutely. So my goal here was, I think, twofold. Number one, I told you, you know, as an English major, I find it kind of therapeutic at times when I'm frustrated, especially when it comes to sports. I like to kind of sit down and write out my ideas in like an essay form. Like it really helps me. And I really felt like a lot of what I've heard from the media when it comes to the lockout was not that accurate. 
like I've always been on record saying that the state of baseball is not the doomsday narrative that I uh, far too often hear. And I feel like the game is in a better place than most people give it credit for. And so I wanted to drive those points home and make those arguments. But I also wanted to, objectively speaking, look at some possibilities for the growth of the game and uh, to improve just kind of uh, the perception of the game. Yeah, and I think you did a masterful job. Like I said, like this deserves to be put on Twitter. This deserves to be put on uh, the Discord channel for ColorCast. And quite frankly, Joe, you ought to send this in to either some local uh, newspapers or, or websites as well as maybe consider sending it into ESPN. You never know if um, if you could be a self-employed uh, contractor for ESPN as a writer. I know they're always looking. So I, I implore everyone to read this article. Joe did a fantastic job. So you, you kind of touch on the path forward to Major League Baseball, right? You set the stage with the lockout, and then you talk about the path forward. So at its core, what are you trying to say with this article? Yeah, so I'm trying to uh, look at, like I said, the, the objective um, possibilities for um, the perception of the game to improve. Like, I really think that a lot of the issues or the stigma that's attached to uh, the game of baseball, and specifically, specifically Major League Baseball, is kind of based on how the game is covered and reported. Um, I know that um, our friend Lily, who is uh, listening right now, I've heard her talk about before on her show how difficult it is to um, look up information and stories about the top tier baseball players. Like you have to really engage in a lot of research on like Wikipedia or different websites if you want to find out the uh, information and the exciting stories about the best players. And I feel like those stories just should be more mainstream. I feel like Everybody knows, you know, the story of like a Drew Brees or a Tom Brady or a LeBron James, but not enough people, you know, know the stories of like a Freddie Freeman and some of the best players in baseball. Yeah, so, so I agree. And let me, let me just preface all this by saying, Joe, we're going to hit some of the highlights of your article, right? I, I want to give you the floor to talk about your article here. Then, a little later in the show, we're going to debate out some of these ideas because I do think you're mistaken in some points, but honestly, to tease this, Joe, in my opinion, gives the best hypothesis why football is so prevalent in America and, and maybe Major League Baseball has kind of taken the backseat. It's probably the best theory I've ever heard, and I'm going to give him all the props in the world. Well, I greatly appreciate that, Matt. Um, thank you so much again for saying that. You know, you know how much I respect you and you know your knowledge and coming that coming from you really does mean more uh, than you know. But taking taking the lead there, Matt, it's actually kind of funny. I think it was about seven or eight years ago. I was watching an NFL game. I think it was the season opener with like the Broncos and the Ravens, maybe like 2013 or so. And I remember it was. Ironically, Ryan Seacrest was uh, doing like a pregame show or something for some reason. And he started talking about the fact that the dawn of the NFL season was the start of the most exciting reality show in American television. And ever since that point, I've really looked at sports in that sphere of like reality television and especially the NFL. 
And that's really a point I wanted to make in my article is that the NFL is so popular in my theory, not just because obviously the product's so good and it's so entertaining, but I really do think that the format with one game each week and also a lot of the storylines that come out of the sport naturally lend themselves just perfectly to this reality TV mindset that we live in. Yeah, so let's let's jump into this, right? Since you've already brought it up, I do have something I want to delve into that I think is important uh, in this relationship that is Joe and Matt uh, regarding baseball. But since you brought it up, let's talk about this reality TV theory because I really think it is probably the best explanation. Like I'm talking about this should run – Frontline or, or, or headline of ESPN.com because I've never heard anyone talk about it. So what Joe basically says in his article is that football, at the essence, is reality TV, and that gap between playing on Sunday and then playing now on Thursday and again on Sunday, right, gives you enough time to be fully engaged in the storyline and the soap opera that is football. And you even point out in your article that it's very much like it is a fantastic just idea that you get a week to absorb the headlines. And that is why NFL is like, it's just dug its claws into our society. Yes, yes, it's that soap opera mentality as you reference. It's like next week on, you know, Days of Our Lives, next week on the NFL, you know, will Tom Brady unretire? Will Devontae Adams be traded? Like, you just so many storylines. And I feel like the reporting of the NFL, Matt, like a lot of the high-level topics you hear about are just the type of topics that are just so engrossing. Like like the type of topics like that would come from soap operas where – yeah, you want to turn away, but you just can't because it's so riveting. And when I compare and contrast that right now to the state of baseball, I feel like one of the biggest issues with the perception of the sport, and, and that's something I want to emphasize, I feel like baseball has really good ratings, better ratings than most people give it credit for. Like, I don't think anybody can touch the NFL, and I said that in my article, the NFL's king. I feel like baseball's doing pretty well, but baseball doesn't have the perception that they're as popular because you don't hear the stories of baseball reported in the mainstream media. And one of the reasons I point out for that, Matt, is I think that the narrative needs to kind of shift with uh, what is focused on from a baseball reporting standpoint. And that's something I can talk more about, but that's kind of the underlying theory. So, so hold on, let's let's press pause right there, right? Because I want to bring this back up in the debate. I'll go ahead and I'll let you know in the debate section where I'm going to head with this, right? And that is, and I don't want you to jump on it just yet, perception is reality. I once had an employer, my boss, when I was 23 years old, tell me that, and it stuck with me to this day. Perception, whether you like it or not, is always reality, unfortunately. But before we go there, let's press pause there, okay? We'll debate that out. Okay. I love this reality TV theory. I don't, we haven't dug deep enough, right? Because I think it's one of the things that really underlies an issue in baseball is that when it comes to NFL, you can circle the day and time on your calendar. It's almost like the, the KISS principle. Keep it simple for stupid, right? Like you can say the Buffalo Bills play at 8 p.m. on Sunday, at 8 p.m. on Monday or noon, right? Whereas baseball... Not only do they play every day, but or, or close to every day, 
but they're playing at different times. And so it's almost Joe. Like, football is the ultimate dummy-down soap opera, I, I guess, outside of WWE, because literally WWE is every single Monday at this certain time. Right, right. And, and kind of building off that point, like, every time I go to, like, Thanksgiving dinner, I congregate with friends and family, I'll know people that don't even really watch sports. Like, they're maybe marginal sports fans that don't even really understand football, but they're like, I'm watching, like, the NFL on Sunday. Like, I want to know if Tom Brady wins this game, or I want to see who wins this college football rivalry game with Alabama-Auburn. Like, people that normally wouldn't watch sports or understand sports, I feel like can relate to a lot of the soap opera storylines that are so compelling within the NFL. And what I feel like you don't see with baseball is, quite frankly, I feel like a lot of the storylines are almost um, appealing uh, too much towards people like me that are baseball super fans. Like I'll hear some of the analysts talking on the talk shows when they talk about baseball, and a lot of the information is geared either towards sabermetrics like, it's more advanced than I think it should be. And I'm not saying that I want to dumb baseball down or I want to make anybody feel insulted about the reporting of baseball. But I think if you want to get more people talking about the sport, you've got to start out with um, talking about the exciting storylines of who are these players? You know, where did they come from? You know, the, the, talk about their lives. Talk about the rivalries. Talk about the, the competition. And then once people, you know, get engaged in the sport more, you can talk about uh, some of those uh, more academic conversations. Yeah, and so uh, there's so many things to cover right there. And, and so I think that, um, that that reality TV portion is, is one of the reasons that it, it's so fixated in America. And, and I lost my train of thought where I was going to go with that while you were talking. But if you want to keep moving down that line, Okay, um, you talk about, you know, what is the path forward for baseball in your article? And I think when it comes to sabermetrics, that's really important, right? Because like you said, it's the only sport out there that if you want to talk baseball, you have to talk in advanced analytics, right? And like only baseball is making their fans talk about wins above replacement and like calculate all these statistics. As an aside here, Joe, we should Google the math competency rate in America, right? And figure out what the the intellectual capacity is, like the average math competency in America. Because, like, challenge an average baseball fan to calculate wins above replacement, and, and they wouldn't even know where to start, much less need a calculator. And so I do think when we talk about the passport for baseball – this idea of being too analytical, too sabermetrics and, and analytics oriented does hurt baseball. Right, right. And what I would also say to kind of finish that point is I feel like I, I said this in the article. I would equate it to let's say that you were trying to tell somebody that had never watched an NFL or a football game about the sport of football. You know, would you start by talking about the stats? Would you start by telling them, oh, um, the uh, Seattle Seahawks, they average, their running backs average five yards per carry, or they're like uh, fifth in the NFL in third down conversion rate. No, you wouldn't start with those types of statistics. And maybe that's kind of a drastic example, but sometimes if I turn on the television or read too many baseball articles, I feel like those are kind of the, 
the equivalent of the starting statistics I hear the analysts talking about. And I just don't think that's the where do you want to lead off if you want to uh, get people interested in the game. So, so let me let me crystallize that right for our listeners. So, uh, one of the best things I ever heard. You know, my two favorite podcasters, commentators, whatever. It's Omani Jones and Dominique Foxworth, right? Because I think they do a really good job of taking high level and distilling it down for something easy to understand. Okay, set that stage. One time, Dominique Foxworth was telling a story on Omani Jones' podcast, right? And he said, he, it's when he first started on Get Up with Mike Greenberg, okay? And he was talking about the different coverages, and like he was breaking down plays, all right? And when it went to commercial, Mike Greenberg pulled him aside and said, Dominique, that is fantastic, and like that is fascinating, and I love hearing you break down the, the, the defensive coverages and blah, blah, blah. He says, but your typical morning listener who's drinking coffee, they only care about one thing. That's the quarterbacks. What are the quarterbacks doing, right? And so that's not to talk about football. It's to, to highlight your point that baseball has needs to find a way to distill the action down to something simplistic that people can grab hold of. Because Mike Greenberg is probably the best when it comes to sports TV shows. And listen to what he told to Dominique. If you get too complicated, people won't understand. And that's what baseball needs to figure out how to do. Right, right. Just not make it overly complicated. Like you think about when you hear reporting, you know, for March Madness, for instance, I'll hear Jay Billis and Lafonso Ellis and those guys, you know, who are really good. They'll be breaking down the tournament. And they don't always, I mean, sometimes they'll get into some metrics and some stats, but a lot of times, Matt, it's a lot of name dropping. It's like, you know, Wyoming is really good because they got this player who led the team in scoring, and they've also got, you know, a player that's like a six-year senior that's a great story. Like, they kind of mix in the perfect uh, setup of a couple of stats here and there, but also feel-good stories within the analysis. And I want to hear more of that, I feel like, from uh, mainstream baseball reporting. So, so Joe, Lily says in the chat, she says, everyone I know who's gotten into baseball has gotten in by watching. It's not a complicated game, right? And, and the stress put on being able to talk about stats isn't helpful for an average fan. So I agree with her that the, the stats, the advanced stats, make it very difficult. Like, let me give you an example. I am a financial accounting guy, right? Like, stats and numbers are my bag, okay? But even I struggle with baseball because I know what's behind all those statistics and like how you have to calculate them and like it's too much for me. Now the part I disagree with Lily is she says it's not a complicated game. I would disagree. The reason why I didn't play baseball is because it is a complicated game and that's giving it credit. It is a very, very strategic game and I chose basketball because I could just play. Like I don't need to think strategy in basketball just the sense of what happens on the court is all the strategy I need, whereas baseball is overly strategic, which is a good thing. All I'm saying is you have to find a way to dumb it down. Yeah, I, I think so. I think so. And I think it's also important, and this is something I didn't talk about enough in the article, but something I wish that more broadcasters could convey when you're watching a game on TV. You know, we, we talk about the experience of going to a game in person. Like, I feel like you can't fully understand baseball until you've seen more games in person and been around the sport 
where you can, you know, on, on TV, you can't see the whole, you know, diamond at once or the whole field at once. And so there's a lot of things I think aesthetically you can capture with the uh, in-person experience. Furthermore, Matt, I feel like the more you've been around the sport, you know to look for certain nuances in the game that make the game more entertaining than most people give it credit for. Like, as a baseball fan, I watch the game, and I'm fascinated, for instance, by who's going to bat leadoff for a team. Is this going to be somebody that's a home run hitter or a base stealer? You know, what what is this pitcher's windup going to look like? What pitch is he going to throw here? Situationally, what decision is going to be made by this manager? It's like the ultimate chess match throughout the game if you know what to look for. And I don't feel like the national media tells people enough about what to look for. They just throw out too many statistics that are almost like a foreign language. Yeah, agree, agree. And, and I think the key there is you have to know what to look for, right? And that, so that kind of brings me into the, the last question and answer portion of this. And then we're going to get into some debate because I, I want to posit a theory and I would love to hear your response to it. Okay, so ultimately, what is the path forward for Major League Baseball? You talk about they need to listen to the fans, and, and that would help grow the appeal for baseball. So very briefly, what is the path forward, Joe? How do you get those fans engaged? I think it's two things. I think one thing is like the notion of taking care of your best customers and not ignoring them in business. And I just feel like the entire narrative we've seen from the commissioner's office throughout the lockout season, you know, the last three or four months, is that they just really don't care enough about baseball fans, or maybe they, they, they don't really care, like they almost have a dislike with the baseball fans. And I think they've got to get past that. I don't know if it takes, you know, a changing of the guard with the commissioner's office and who's running the league, but they've got to get past that. There's got to be a better relationship with the uh, front offices and the fans. And they've got to listen to the fans. I mean, the fans didn't want to lock out. The fans wanted, you know, some stability with the season. They wanted to know when games were going to start. And I just think that, that the league's got to work on that. And they've got to listen to what the fans want. And then finally, I just think from a marketability standpoint, they've got to do a better job of showcasing the best players. Yeah, I, I think so. I think the one thing you can take from these other leagues, right, if, if we're going to disagree about, uh, you know, the, the standings of them, like which one's the most popular and if they're surviving or dying or whatever. The one thing I think we can all agree on is that baseball's got to listen to the fans and they have to listen to the players, Joe. That is what football and basketball has taught us, right? The fans want a different color jerseys. They want all these different kind of uh, color Jordans and Nikes and LeBron James shoes. So that's what the, the NBA gave them. You want 10 different styles of jerseys? We'll give you that. In football, the fans love it when the, the players score a touchdown and celebrate and dance. So what did the NFL do? They let them celebrate and dance, right? And so I think ultimately baseball's got to listen to the fans, give them what they want, but they have to listen to the players because I think what the NBA and the NFL has done better than anyone is they listen to their players. I think so. I think so. And then the other thing I would add is I think that the product for baseball is really, really good. Like if you watch the postseason every year, it's so entertaining. Like the games are just electric, back and forth, extra inning affairs, just so much fun on each pitch. And I just feel like you've got a great product if you're baseball. It's just not reaching enough people. And that's kind of what I you know hope to kind of talk about in the article. So, so 
why businesses pay so much money to the marketing positions, right? You can have a great product, but if you can't get it in the fans, or excuse me, can't get it in the hands of the fans or customers, if you can't show the value, and ultimately, if there's no touch point with the customers or the fans, then your product dies. And so I think this really is a marketing conundrum that baseball has to solve. So, Joe, let's get into the debate portion. So this is where me and you are probably not going to agree a whole lot, but I think that is the value of a beautiful article like what you've written. Is it allows people to discuss some ideas and, and figure some things out, right? But before we get there, I want to I ask you one more thing that I think is fascinating. In your article, it was a very brief sentence or two. My understanding is that the reason you're a baseball fan is because the house you live in now was owned by a former Major League Baseball player, and you found an autographed picture of Babe Ruth. And so I wanted to hear more about that. But I also want to know, is the picture autographed by Babe Ruth or the player that used to live in your house? So, great question. I'm actually, um, it's my parents' house. I'm actually in that house right now, ironically, uh, recording this episode. Um, so the uh, photo, I think it's a copy of the original photo, but it was autographed by Babe Ruth himself. And uh, the, uh, the player that uh, lived in the house, his name was uh, Gerald G. Walker. And I think I mentioned in the article that uh, he played uh, mostly for the Detroit Tigers back in the 1930s, was an all-star he almost – he was like a borderline Hall of Famer, like almost had 2,000 career hits, uh, still the uh, only player in history to hit for the cycle on opening day. So I knock on wood every season that that holds true. But, yeah, just uh, growing up, like that kind of helped my baseball fanfare uh, take off when uh, we moved into that house. And, and it explains it now why me and you disagree so vehemently on baseball because it's very deeply rooted. But, you know, my thought there was, man, when – when I read that, if you have an autographed Babe Ruth picture, there's your retirement right there. Yeah, like there it is. Well, no, and, and I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, like that that nostalgia for me growing up in that house makes me like baseball more. And as a kid, like baseball was my favorite sport. Like I was later on getting into football. I was probably 11 or 12 before I really got into football. I was more of a basketball, baseball person first, played a lot of baseball. Um, before I was in high school. And so I think those reasons kind of make me uh, uh, more kind of stubbornly loyal about the game. I love it. I absolutely love it. So, Joe, let's get into the more argumentative part about this article, right? So here's where I want to start. And, and I want to come right out of the gates firing at you because I think we kind of – we understand the essence of the article, right? Here's my big thing. I think it's not really an argument, so to speak. So I think the problem with Major League Baseball is that it is a regional game, okay? Because of the intricacies of baseball, like we talked about it, the statistics, the players, how many people are on a roster, how often they play. I feel like baseball is very regional, right? Like no one's going to appreciate the Milwaukee Brewers unless you really live close to Milwaukee. So my point here, Joe, is – I think when you got rid of newspapers, as you destroyed or eliminated newspapers from culture and society, that drove the wedge there. Because now what you have is you have you know national networks such as ESPN that they're covering national news, okay? Like the Dallas Cowboys are more national than regional. And so it sweeps baseball under the rug because you have to have this regional appreciation 
really understand the team and all the things that go on with it. Well, I, think, I think it is the um, proliferation of a national media and, and the destruction of the regional newspapers that are really hurting baseball. I think that's definitely a component, and I've heard that argument. I've also, you know, thought about with baseball, it's kind of become similar to the MLS with soccer. You know, soccer is a very popular regional sport, but, you know, you don't have as many household named soccer players across the country. But here's what I would say about your points about kind of that regional nature of baseball. I do, though, think that the NBA and the NHL are regional sports to an extent. Like outside of the biggest names in those sports, you know, a lot of let's say you're a fan of like the uh, the San Jose Sharks in the NHL. You know, they may not have household names across the country, but they have a regional following in, in the NBA. Like, you know, if you're a fan right now of the Oklahoma City Thunder, I feel like that's more of a regional following because they don't have as many household names. But I do think I would say that for baseball to get to the next level, to increase their popularity even more. They do have to do a better job of more of their players becoming household names. And I, and I think I said this in the article, one thing I think that has hurt baseball is that, you know, everybody loves a villain. It's this superhero, you know, villain mindset that we live in, in our kind of, you know, superhero crazed society. And you just don't have enough um, dynasties in the last 20 years in baseball. It's been what, like, 20 years since uh, the Yankees were like a true dynasty. And I think that that has kind of hurt some of the attention of the sport. I, I do. I do too. Like, I, I think even the rivalries, as I was reading your article, right, the rivalries that we, we know in our hearts as sports fans are rivalries. They just don't do it anymore for baseball. Like Yankees and Red Sox, like, uh, okay. Yankees and Mets, uh, all right, you know, like they just don't do it like you see in other, uh, you know, other sports like Chicago and Green Bay and football, and, you know, all the ones we can name. But I think kind of where I want to go with that, talk about the regional piece is this. I know people think of football and basketball and, and all this more on a national level, but it's really not, Joe. Like, let's talk about basketball. You don't hear about the other teams in basketball. You hear about players. LeBron James is national, but the Lakers aren't. Uh, Oklahoma City, regional. You don't hear about them. Like, the only things you hear about that are that are big time or national in the NBA are the big time names. LeBron James, Giannis, or, like, or whoever's trending at the time. Same in football. You don't hear about the Raiders. You don't hear about the Seattle Super uh, Seattle Seahawks. You hear about Tom Brady. You hear about Aaron Rodgers and the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, one of the things I heard, which is so true, is that the New England Patriots, they've won all these Super Bowls. You don't hear about them. Like, outside of Tom Brady, no one really follows them closely like they do the Dallas Cowboys. So I guess my point is, like, it's the national figures that are keeping the other sports together because you don't hear about the regional teams. And, and that's the problem with baseball is they are all regional. And Major League Baseball has not done a good job making their players marketable like a LeBron James and all these other guys. Well, I think it's the key point, Matt, for me is the association of these marketable players with a particular franchise. And here's what I mean by that. I talked about in the article. What is Lakers and Celtics as a rivalry without the foundation of a Bill Russell? 
without the foundation of a Kareem, of a Magic Johnson, of a Larry Bird. It doesn't have the same meaning in national relevance. And if you look at baseball in the early 2000s, you had the Derek Jeters, the Mike Piazzas, and the Mets um, Yankees rivalry. You had Derek Jeter, Mariano Rivera against um, Nomar Garcia Parra, David Ortiz with the Red Sox rivalry. And when you kind of go away from those household names and you fail to market the new stars, you lose the luster of that rivalry. And I think that's kind of the point that baseball needs to reach. But I do think in basketball that there are some teams that have notoriety. Like I do think that the Lakers are kind of on that level of like the Dallas Cowboys where the media is just going to talk about them um, regardless of uh, the, the status of the team. debated with you before like you know the point I always bring up there is you've got Luka Doncic you've got Giannis you know all these players in basketball they're not from America so I do think that that's not something that can prevent baseball from having that national marketability to me Matt there are a few factors that have hurt the game um, first and foremost with Mike Trout I think that it's hurt his marketability to an extent that his team has failed to make the playoffs uh, basically throughout his career. They've made the playoffs one time in the 10 seasons that he's been a professional athlete with the Angels. And so that's hurt. Um, but I do think that when I talk about kind of the reporting and the narrative of baseball, let me kind of specify that, uh, specify that for a second. So when you hear about coverage, Matt, of the NFL and the NBA, you hear a lot about people debating legacies and championships and who's going to be the favorite to win in an upcoming season. And I think that baseball needs to have more of those discussions that can kind of get these players some more national relevance. It's also about telling the stories. And I get what you're saying about a player like Mike Trout that doesn't want the spotlight, but I've always thought, and I think I mentioned this in the article as well, that the starting pitchers in baseball have a great platform where they can be talked about very similar to an NFL quarterback. And here's what I mean by that. We talk, I talked about how in football, it helps the sport that they only play one game per week. Well, the last time I checked, in baseball, a starting pitcher only throws every fifth day. And so if you can really hype up, you know, when a Clayton Kershaw or a Justin Verlander is going to get on the mound, I think that there's that opportunity to have those matchups with a greater magnitude. So there, there's so many things, like way outside of this, this 
this cast, I mean, this is something I feel like we could debate and, and not argue, like have a really excellent conversation debate about what's going on with baseball. Joe, the problem I have with what you just said is, well, first off, okay, let me start here. Mike Trout is a conundrum in and of itself. Mike Trout's the best thing baseball's got going, and how they get him more involved, I do not know, but they need to solve that problem. He is the savior of baseball if he would allow himself to be the savior of baseball. I think we can agree on that. The other issue is this. Players can't get national fame if they can't speak English. Like, how are you going to have Fernando Tatis, and keep in mind, I'm not a baseball guy, so that guy may speak English, but pick uh, uh, the, the Japanese guy that just, you know, did everything. Uh, what's his name, Joe? Tonight, uh, Shohei Otani. Yeah, he can't speak English at all. How is he going to pitch Subway? How is he going to power rate if he can't speak English? You talk about Luca. you talk about Giannis, they all have one thing in common. They speak English. Well, so wait, wait now. Does Usain Bolt speak English? Like, I'm not sure. Like, he became a household name. Like, I think it's all about the presentation and telling the story yeah. and the marketability. Usain Bolt absolutely speaks English. Well, I, well, I wasn't yeah. sure. But I, my point is, is that I don't think that that should be a deterrent. But, but what I'm saying is you don't think it should be. But how can you get someone to pitch Subway if they can't speak English in America? Well, really, quite frankly, I think that Shohei Otani, if you just promote um, his concept of being uh, somebody that can pitch and hit and you know hit it, do it at a prolific level, I think that just telling that story builds his brand enough. And then over time, you know, he'll work on his communication. You know, I love to talk about the fact that Dirk Nowitzki, you know, my favorite basketball player, he did not speak good English when he came to the United States. But over time, he was able to work on his craft. He would, and Dirk Nowitzki never got to the levels of LeBron James. Not on the court. I'm talking about marketability. See, Joe, the issue I'm having, like, I understand, like Lily says, Otani can speak English, but not the English we're talking about, right? He can't speak it fluently enough to pitch a product. Like, if he has, or if he can, why haven't they used him, right? Like, that's common logic. But here's the deal. In my opinion, People our age, they're looking at baseball through the lens of an adult. Like, we understand if you're a pitcher how extremely difficult it is to throw a curveball and, and everything that goes with it. But you need to look at it from a lens of a kid, right? Of a 12-year-old. Which one is more awe-inspiring? Watching Steph Curry make threes and do all this craziness. Watch people fall down because he crossed them over. Watching LeBron James soar through the air or watching... What looks to be an out-of-shape, middle-aged white dude on a mound who is standing there. Like, from a 12-year-old's perspective, which one is more scintillating and which one holds your, your focus more? That is, to me, is the problem with baseball. Well, I think part of the problem, Matt, is people have kind of forgotten uh, the art of a home run and, like, how exciting it is when somebody hits a walk-off home run. And I think that the highlights that you see on ESPN, as I talked about earlier, are pretty much dominated by three-point shooting and touchdowns. You just don't see enough baseball highlights. I mean, you don't see enough soccer highlights. You don't see enough hockey highlights. And so what people see, I talked about it in the article, the media sets the agenda for the talking points that we talk about. If somebody's listening to our show right now, Matt, and I hope that some people are, 
they're going to come away probably talking about baseball later on tonight or thinking about it tomorrow. The media sets the agenda for what we see and talk about and relate to. And when you see only basketball highlights, yes, that's going to get the luster. Got a lot of questions in the chat, right? So, uh, Joe Brody's fantastic article, you know, about Major League Baseball and, and how they, you know, worked their way through the MLB lockout. And then, if you read the article, what you find is that Joe kind of recommends some path forwards to get the MLB on the same level as the NBA and the NFL, so on and so forth. And so, we're instead of doing the Q and A, which we did earlier in the, the color cast, the podcast tonight. Now we're kind of debating out what needs to happen, right, and what the path forward is. And so uh, that kind of brings us full circle, right? And we're talking about the marketability of baseball. And, and Lily, Lily is just a treasure here, right, because she's giving you all the people that baseball should and needs to capitalize, right? we got Freeman, Brett Phillips, Cody Bellinger, Trey Turner, Aaron Judge, Chris Bryant, and, and there's so many others. And, and I agree with her, like, those are the marketable people in baseball. Now, here's the question, and the core that we're trying to get to is, why do they not market these guys? Well, I talked about earlier, you know, I think that there's a lot of friction with the commissioner's office, with the players. We talk about coming back from the lockout with the fans. Like, you just have a lot of people that really don't see eye to eye on things, don't really get along. And I think that kind of that discomfort um, you know, socially kind of messes up with um, marketing the brand. I think it's a definite impact um, on many levels. But, you know, to Lily's point, Matt, I want to concentrate on the fact that, you know, you talk about Shohei Otani, you talk about these guys that you say can't speak English, but look at all the players that she listed that can, you know, they're going to be able to do a great interview. And I still go back to the point that that's not a deterrent. If the NBA can build through a global game and a global sphere, baseball can absolutely do it. They just need to do a better job of doing it. And so, and so it leads back to why are they not doing it, right? And, and that I can't wrap my head around. JJB says, you know, it all ties back into money. And I agree. I think the core here, and, and this is not my like overarching opinion, but I think it's some of it is – there's something about the product on the field about baseball that is not as marketable as other sports. What it is, I don't know. It's probably a five-leg approach, right? There's probably ten reasons why it's not as marketable. I, I don't know. But there's something about the game that is not as easily marketable or marketable as the other leagues. And, and I, I can't put my finger on it, Joe. I really think, Matt, it's shifting the narrative. Like, I really think if you focused on, like, who won the championship every year more, if you focused on the MVP race, the Cy Young race, quite frankly, if you just reported more stories that are polarizing from time to time, like, I hate to say it that way, but that's what you hear a lot of times with the narrative of other sports. You know, you hear about the friction, like, you know, is Aaron Rodgers happy in Green Bay? Is Tom Brady going to come back? Is LeBron James, can he coexist, you know, with these players in the locker room? You don't hear enough stories like that that are soap opera-esque in baseball. And when you do, like the lockout or like the steroid scandal, that becomes front-page news. And so I think it's just um, a combination of just better reporting and a better job of telling these players' stories to the national media. It, it really is, Joe. I think you nailed it right there, right? 
right? And, and let me touch on something Lily said. She said uh, the GQ article with Shohei Otani was so good. Look, there are so many amazing things in baseball. Like Shohei Otani is literally, literally the second coming of Babe Ruth, and no one's talking about it, right? Because they want to focus on other narratives. Like he hits with power. He could be the best pitcher in the league. Like he is Babe Ruth. Mike Trout. I've said. Mike Trout is. Look at statistics. All of the greatest baseball players, from Willie Mays to Hank Aaron to Lou Gehrig, all of them wrapped into one player, and no one talks about it. And, and Joe, you nail it. It's because of the coverage in the media. And to me, that is what baseball has got to get a handful of. Like, how is it when we talk about the Hall of Fame that who is not getting in based on steroids, like a steroid scandal from 10 plus years ago, is more important than talking up Shohei Otani. More important than talking up Christian Yelich or, or Aaron, jo- uh, Aaron Judge or all these other players. Like baseball, you have to control the narrative. Yes, and I think it's also, Matt, and it's something I just kind of interestingly thought of about adaptability. You know, baseball is um, the oldest, um, you know, continuing team sports league in the United States. Like the first World Series was played in 1903. But here's a fascinating point to consider. In 1903, the coverage of the World Series, there was no television crews, you know, on site. The NFL has taken off through the advent of the Super Bowl in the entire time over the last, what, 55 years they've had a Super Bowl. It's always been on TV. And so the NFL was able to kind of grow through television. Baseball grew through the print media, grew through radio broadcasts, and they just never really caught up to some of the growing trends. And I think that may be one reason from time to time, they have troubles with interviewing and reporting. So, so let me let me inject a little bit here um, because this is where I think JJB says, you know, it's all about money and greed. It's about business. So, Joe, what you just said was when it came to reporting, and, and I want to wrap up this cast, right? Because there's two really good points here that I want Joe to speak on. And I want us to get there, so I'm gonna try to be quick here. In business, there's something called marketing. OB, right? You learn about this in business school. The case is about trains, okay? And it was about why the trains never developed and airplanes took over, okay? And it's because back in the 1910s, 20s, 30s, they went to the uh, companies and they're like, we need you to carry people. And the train company said, no, we move goods, we move products, corn, oil, blah, 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 rice, okay? And so, they invented airplanes because we need to move people in mass transit. And the railroads have never recovered from that. It's because they saw themselves as, as providing only one service. And the truth is, they will move anything that matters. That's That should have been their attitude, right? And instead, they said, no, we move one thing, and that's commodities. And they lost out on transporting people in a big way. And so exactly to your point, Joe, Something has transitioned in society, in media. I'm not sure what it is, but baseball's got to wrap their heads around and say, it used to be newspapers. It used to be radio broadcasts. That's not how we get our message out anymore. We have to figure out and adapt and not have this marketing myopia. Right, right. And Matt, just to kind of like attempt to kind of crystallize, like if I were to try to give everybody just a a broad sweeping brush to summarize my article, I think the biggest point I want to make is that baseball is in a better position than most people think because more people watch it than most people think.
But I just think on a societal level, because of baseball's failure to market, we really just don't realize how many people watch it because we don't talk about it enough through the uh, national storylines. Exactly. So let's wrap this up in a book. That was a great transition there, Joe. And one last thing, JJB says, you know, here's the cop. Joe Burrow is more noticeable. People know about him more than Shohei, and that was in one season. And agree, JJB, Joe Burrow is average at best. And I don't mean in terms of football player. I mean his story. Like he wasn't even a guy that could make the Ohio State team. Now he's in the NFL doing big things. Shohei Otani is legendary from the jump. He was legendary in Japan. He came to Major League Baseball and is proved out. So I think that is a great point by JJB. So, Joe, let's put a bow on this. And I think your last paragraph in the article is a great place to wrap it up. Now, your message is that baseball is in a better position than people think it is. And so there need to be subliminal changes, minor changes not overly drastic changes. And so I want to get your color on that, and then I also want to argue that more so, I think there needs to be drastic overhauls to baseball to really affect change. So here's what I mean by kind of changes on a subtle level. I said earlier that the product to me is top-notch. I think that the playoffs are thoroughly entertaining. I think that the players are so immensely talented and fun to watch if people are watching. And so what I think is the changes that need to be made on like a subliminal level are just really specifically to do with the reporting and perception of the sport. And I keep going back to the narrative that is portrayed surrounding the sport. Yeah, I I think you're right. I think it is about narrative and I think it's about Major League Baseball controlling that narrative, Joe. So let me leave you with one thought because I would love your take on it. And that is, you know, where we started was about how the NFL has turned football into the ultimate reality TV show. And again, please go out and read Joe's article. I mean, he gave us this hypothesis I've never heard. And that is football comes in at a weekly interval. And so it allows people or allows fans to be the ultimate soap opera, right? And the argument there is there's only a few games and they happen once a week. I saw a headline today about baseball. And in order to make up for the lockout, they are going to have 30 different doubleheaders. So, Joe, here's my question to you to kind of wrap it all up. If we've identified, you've identified in your article, that less is more, having less games, controlling the narrative, and, and making it so it's a soap opera, if that is more, and that is what's contributing to the NFL's success, and maybe even the NBA's success, why then would baseball need to cram in all of these games? That, to me, is a bad strategic decision. I think they're doing it, Matt, just quite frankly because of the dollars. It's about the television deals and the revenue from producing 162 games and the players getting their full salaries, all of those factors. But quite frankly, though, I think I would on many levels agree with you with this point that you bring up. I think it's a great point. You know, historically, baseball started out, I think, with 154 games. And then uh, years ago, they shifted up to 162. No, I really think that with the way the lockout played out, I wouldn't have been opposed to having somewhat of a shorter season in taking off a few games this year. I do think it's probably a mistake to try to sandwich so many games on top of each other with the double headers. We talked about, I think it was last season in the NBA, Matt, coming out of the pandemic, that we didn't like the fact that the NBA decided to play 72 games and bunch them all in together because a lot of players are going to rest 
uh, you know, you have load management, a lot of those factors and the quality of the game was not going to be as good. And so, yeah, I think that baseball probably, in my opinion, should have in this season uh, gone with the shorter season. I think so, Joe. You know, the, the last thing I'll say there is I just think about all these games, and I'm probably going to be wrong here, but I remember growing up as a little boy, and I would have days off from school because I was sick, and I would watch Chicago Cup games, or I'd turn on WGNs, except the game is being played at 1, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and I'm thinking to myself, or I thought to myself growing up, like, who watches this, right? And so I guess my thought is exactly what Lily says. They need to talk to the players about the length of the season and the situation, right? Listen to your point article. Listen to the fans. Talk to the players. Maybe less is more. And, and the last thing I would say is, from a business standpoint, I'm not telling you that baseball is done. What I'm telling you is business is business. Businesses that fail to adapt die. If you don't believe that, let's talk about JCPenney's. Let's talk about Kmart. Let's talk about all these huge companies that have died over the years because they did not adapt. And Joe, that's all I really want is I want baseball to adapt so that more people that, that don't love baseball can start to love baseball. Right, right. And I'm just laughing about Sears. I remember, what was their slogan? Where else? Yeah, I, I, Sears is a great example. Joe, one last thing before he closes out, because it is Hungry Teams, right? I would implore everyone, go check out Joe's article. It is fantastic, well worth your time, well-written piece. But Joe, let me ask you this. Baseball season's here, right? Obviously, that's what the article's about. The first baseball game, I'm assuming Southern Miss baseball, if you go watch it, what are you going to eat while you sit in the stands? Because this is hungry takes after all. Well, Matt, you, you, you should know me by now that um, a lot of times when I'm watching something like that, I usually don't eat. Um, like, I'm not that much of a snacker. I mean, maybe like some nachos would entice me. That would sound good. You know, just kind of a, uh, nachos with jalapenos and cheese that you can get at any ballpark. But uh, now that you mention that, though, I've been wanting to tell you that I think there's a game coming up in May with uh, Ole Miss and Southern Miss baseball. We definitely need to check that out. Uh, so I'm way ahead of you. I already looked at that. I looked it up for you because I was going to ask you to go. I figured you don't get the chance to see Ole Miss here in Hattiesburg too often. So I think that's fantastic. And, Joe, I'll tell you this. Whether we agree on baseball, disagree on baseball, and, and no matter what happens in baseball, there is really, truly nothing better than the smell of baseball, right, like food in the stands, a beautiful like today with the sun out, enjoying a hot dog. And you know how much I love hot dogs. It really is a great thing. If you love sports, you love food, there really isn't much better than enjoying a hot dog at a baseball game. Yeah, yeah, ab absolutely. I just like, like, and that's why I can't stress enough. You know, once people, I think, have gone to more games in person, you just see how beautiful the atmosphere and the ambiance is and the aura. And I think that that, you know, sums up everything we love about baseball. Yeah, I, I think so. I know in my own personal experience, the baseball I see on TV is very different than the baseball when I'm in the stands, and I think it has a lot to do with um, just everything, the setting that is baseball. So great talk, Joe. I love the article. Just a fantastic piece that you spent a lot of time on, I know. I implore all of our listeners, go check it out. It's, it's supposed to be posted on Twitter. I know it's in the Discord section of ColorCast. So, uh, Joe, fantastic job. Anything else you want to add? 
Well, first off, just thank you again, Matt, so much. I, I just can't thank you enough. Like I said earlier, just the respect I have for you and how intelligent you are and just everything that you know about sports just means so much coming from you and just worked hard on it. And I just hope, you know, that everybody uh, was able to get something out of our discussion tonight and uh, really appreciate everybody tuning in. It was just a lot of fun, Matt, to have this uh, discussion with you. All right. Well, um, Matt, unless uh, there's anything else you want to discuss, um, I just want to thank everybody again so much for tuning in and I guess uh, send us home. Yeah. So, so just want to thank everyone last time, uh, you know, for, for being engaged and enjoying, I think, the debate me and Joe have had tonight. Uh, one last plug. Go check out Joe's article. Otherwise, thank you for tuning in for another episode of Hungry Takes.